Welcome to Truth Culture Life. I am Royce Hood, and I am joined today by my amazing co-host, Father Michael Orsi from Naples, Florida. And Father wasn't here last week. I don't know where he was. You weren't here last week. Was I not? I was here last week, I think. You, know, you said there right. was no show I, last no week. Show. That's true. <laughs> I had an interview earlier in the week with Dr. Ray, and it was funny because it wasn't actually on my calendar. I get a text and this guy is claiming to be Dr. Ray. He's like, hey, are we on in 30 minutes? I was like, who is this? He's like, I'm Dr. Ray. I'm like, Dr. Ray who? And uh, it was hilarious because Sophia had set it up, but it hadn't, it didn't properly get onto my calendar. So <laughs> we ended up doing that show. And, um, and I think his segment actually will air this weekend. So that'll be exciting at Catholic Spirit Radio. So Father right. Orsi, how are things going in Naples, Florida? I want to introduce our guest here in a second. Uh, everything is everything is fine in Naples. Uh, a lot of the uh, snowbirds are coming back. Traffic is building, but uh, you know the sunshine makes up for all the inconveniences. <laughs> yeah, I would I would think the sunshine is well well received whenever I get to receive it. Um, the traffic though is a whole nother thing. Ah, uh, so that's a different story. Yeah. Honestly, um, I, there was a meme the other day, Father, on about it's like it's called Florida memes. It's on Facebook and it's pretty funny. And there was this thing that said something like, you know, Orlando is exactly one hour from Orlando because of the traffic. <laughs> and my response to that is honestly, if you're a Floridian, Orlando really is not Florida. We don't consider Florida, you know, Orlando a, a city in Florida. It's like its own place. Yeah, it's like make believe world. It is. It's Disneyland. Yeah. I mean, come on. Yeah. Um, anyway, so I think if you're going to claim to be a Floridian, you genuinely have to live on the coast. That to me is is authentically Florida. Well, you, I'm here on the Gulf. You are. I know. Yeah. You're, uh, I'm authentic. Yeah, you are authentic. Uh, New Yorker turned Floridian. You saw the well, bright. I, re I, renounce, I renounce that whole New York scene. I, I renounce it. Yeah, New York is definitely, they just announced the other day, the Attorney General just announced in New York that they are now monitoring social media posts. Isn't that great? Yeah. On the late great state of New York. Right. People's, Re People's Republic. There's nothing better than communists monitoring free speech okay. of citizens, right? Yeah, that's where we are. Let's bring in our guest, uh, Alec. Am I, am I gonna, I, I'm afraid I'm going to get your last name wrong. Is it as simple as it looks, Torres? Is that correct? That's it. Yeah, I pretty did. simple. We, we've been here a good number of generations, so you don't need to like roll the R's or anything like that. <laughs> yeah, there's probably different ways you could say your last name, Torres. Yeah, exactly. I, I mean, I live in Texas, so there are a lot of people who say my name uh, very differently. But uh, now nah, for us, it's, it's anglicized at this point. <laughs> Straight Torres. Yeah, it, and uh, you are forever cursed. I hate to say this because on the keyboard... The X and the C are right next to each right other. Right next to each other. But I mean, on the same point, I've gotten used to it my whole life. Maybe not with Alex, but, you know, I had three brothers. So my mom cycled through every single name before she got to mine. So I, I'm used to just being called the wrong thing my whole life. <laughs> That's great. Well, welcome to the program. Alec, you have a really, really interesting background. Um, why don't I, instead of trying to regurgitate it myself and getting it wrong, I'm just going to let you introduce yourself because you'll do a better job than I will. <laughs> uh, one would hope, right? At least I hope I know the facts. Uh, yeah, so uh, I guess, you know, the reason I'm here today is, is to talk about my new book, Persecuted From Within. So more recently, most recently, I'm an author, uh, but uh, that's, a, that's a bit of a unique role for me um, because uh, I'm, I'm a ghostwriter by training. 
Uh, I used to write speeches for President Trump. I wrote speeches for uh, Kevin McCarthy uh, back before he became the speaker. And now now obviously he's no longer the speaker. But I worked in Washington for seven, eight years uh, before moving to Texas, like I said. Uh, and now I, I you know, have a writing business uh, where I work for clients. I'm still a ghostwriter today. So uh, I threw a name on a book because I felt that strongly about it, wanted to help the church. And I know we're going to talk about that later. Wow, that that is super cool. So, what is it like to um, to actually write a speech for a sort of a big bigwig politician? It's uh, I mean, it's it's I I have to admit it's probably one of the best jobs you can have. Um, I absolutely loved it. Uh, I think God put me there because, uh, well, for one reason, if I wrote for myself too often, I'd probably get proud. But to write for somebody else, where you know other people don't know you exist. Uh, it humbled me a bit, but you still get to see your words spoken on the biggest stage. And uh, I mean, I got to write on absolutely everything, you name it, right? Uh, immigration, pro-life issues, healthcare, uh, you know, the border. You, it's just every single thing under the sun I got to write about and uh, and touch from from the highest levels of politics. So, you know, if you can get into speed writing, there's very few of us out there, but if you can get into it, it's a heck of a job. I think how did you get into it? I mean, how did you get yeah, into that? Questions. How did they, uh, you know, find? How did they find you? Yeah, it was. Uh, um, it, it's the worst career advice I can I can give to anybody. I just kept getting phone calls. Uh, so I, I I stumbled into a job working for National Review, the magazine, when I was fresh out of college, uh, which itself was weird because I actually hated writing in college, uh, but uh, I just wanted to work in politics in some way. Um, so I fell into this job a few months go by and my name got circulated around with Kevin McCarthy's office. They were looking for a young writer who might be willing to move down to DC and, and just start writing their press releases, their speeches, all their comm stuff. So I said, heck, why not? And I, I did that for four years and four years of writing for, then he was the majority leader of the house, I guess, trained me up enough that when the folks at the white house were looking for somebody to come in and boost up the team, uh, I found out later at the end of my time at the White House, I said, who gave you my name? You know, how did you find me? What was it? They said they found me on LinkedIn. So apparently wow. I got my job at the White House from LinkedIn. There you go. LinkedIn. That, you know, uh, do let me ask you this. I mean, D.C. is so darn expensive. Yeah. Are you able to make like do I know staffers hardly make anything. House you know, staffers you and Senate staffers make very, very little. That's 100% true. And there's a reason why if you ever go to Congress and you're just walking the halls, you're like, why do I feel like I'm on a college campus where people are wearing ill-fitting suits? Like, it's very strange. And it's because, you know, they're paying people thirty, forty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000 a year. You know, maybe if you're a higher roller, like 80, 100, but in a city that is very, very expensive, that doesn't go terribly far. Uh, you know, it could be great if you're single, but if you got kids and a family, you know, good luck. Yeah. I ask you a question. You worked for National Review. Right? Yeah. Now, I, I was a reader of National Review at one time when uh, Bill Buckley was alive. However, now I'm not putting you on the spot here. It seems to me that they've gone a little, uh, well, a little far uh, neocon. It's, yeah, it's not the well, same. They, they've been... They've been neocon pretty much from the get-go. I mean, that that sort of robust internationalism has been there from the get-go. And uh, I wouldn't call them debates. I was too young to debate uh, uh, the older folks uh, there who were running the ship when I when I first started out, 21, 22 years old. It, it, it would have been improper for me to do so. But we did have discussions, and they really are just hard intervention internationalists. At least a lot of them are yeah. over there. 
Uh, but, you know, as times change, as communism goes away, the Soviet Union falls, that that posture just becomes less relevant uh, and frankly, less warranted, in my opinion. So, you know, th in a way, they're faulted for having not changed as opposed to having changed the wrong direction. Yeah, because they're kind of anti-Trump now, aren't they? Yeah, I mean, they they wrote, uh, they were, I forget exactly what it was, but it was in 2015 or 2016, they had a big issue, never Trump, you know, it came out against him. So, I mean, obviously you can tell uh, I have diverging opinions with National Review. I went and worked for the guy that they had a big issue against. Um, but, uh, I, you know, I try to be a big tent guy with a lot of these things. Mm -hmm. um, you know, unless you're trying to murder babies or something like that, like I want to be able to work with you and, and see where we can find some common ground and help. Because frankly, I know that there's just not we don't have 50 percent of the country that's really traditional, conservative, Catholic, you know, uh, a right winger like me. So I, I, I'm going to have very few friends and get very little done if I only try to work with the folks who are 100 percent on my side. Well, you know I think, that, you know, the name yeah. I remember, was it Jonathan Goldberg who started the anti-Trumpism? Uh, Jonah Goldberg. Jonah, uh, yeah. Name. Yeah, he was at uh, the online version. And I, I wouldn't say started it, but he's been ardent. And that remains today. I, I mean, if you follow, I, I'm personally, I'm not on social media. I got off that years ago. Uh, my life's been great ever since, frankly. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, I, I, I get sent stuff from him every once in a while from friends. Like, can you believe what this guy said? And it's a tough thing because I, I remember meeting Jonah. He's such a kind man, you know, was great, sat down, gave me career advice, all this stuff. But on in terms of political opinions, ugh, not not my cup of tea. I'm just wondering, you know, how do you work with people like that that are kind of antithetical to your beliefs? I, I just find it how I wouldn't be able to do it. Well, well, yeah, it, it's it, people have different styles, right? Like some people really do silo in. And uh, they work on a single issue and they try to convince everyone on that one. I'm a generalist, so I'm focused on on all sorts of things like right. I, I've I've, uh, I've ghostwritten books on subjects like transgenderism or, uh, you know, like uh, immigration policy. But then I have a book about Catholicism and the saints that's coming out now. Right. Or that just came out. So I go all over the place, which means that I essentially have to work with other people whom I may not agree with. The goal is that I can at least agree with them on that particular issue or at least the policies that we would pursue on that issue, even if the goals aren't the same uh, and, and just leave everything else off to the side. So selective silence and a really thick skin, I think is what it, uh, what it comes mm -hmm. down to. You, you would probably need that kind of um, that attitude, I would guess working successfully in Washington um, because so much of that is, you know, that big tent idea. <laughs> I guess well, it's it, it kind of depends if you're if you're a big fish and you can just roll over people, you, you'll lose a lot of friends. But um, but, uh, uh, you know, you can you can do that, too. You can barrel through people. But I wasn't a big fish. You know, people don't know my name. I didn't have a ton of power. So you got to kind of work through the system. Uh, but you work through the system while trying to change it and shift it around. Right. Like I, I respect people's roles. Some people are supposed to be on the outside, just railing against it, hammering on it, making it change. And frankly, we need those people because you need the ex external pressure hitting it. But then you also need people inside who are the ones just like pulling and dragging as hard as they can from inside to, to, to take it where we want it to go. Uh, both got to work together. Let me ask, ask you. OK, go ahead. Robin Hood, you ask and I'll follow up. Well, no, I was going to get into his background, Father, so go ahead. No, I want to just ask you, what journal do you recommend today? Like, I, I haven't read National Review in a long time. Uh, yeah. I used to read, I used to read uh, Chronicles. Uh, are they still in business? You know, I, I don't know. I haven't seen one of, their, one of their issues in a very long time. 
Uh, and, you know, I was a better person to ask two years ago because right now I have a two and a half year old and a two month old. So uh-huh. I have a stack of magazines that are unopened sitting on my desk. Uh, but that being said, you know, uh, the American conservative, I have a lot of respect for them. They're a good organization. Um, I, obviously, I'm not going to agree with every magazine, everything they say, but they've got some good stuff. I like the Claremont Review of Books. I read mm-hmm. First Things, which is a little more social political, but still, uh, you know, wonderful stuff in there. And then after that, I sort of dabble around. I, you know, I follow particular personalities and RSS feeds and stuff like that to kind of get my news. Yeah, yeah the paleo, the paleo cons have kind of receded I, from I from what I can see. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a fight still, right? Uh, they, they sort of rose up with Trump and they're getting pushed back, like you can see. I, I mean, in a way, you could view the the battle right now insofar as there is one on the, on the right in the primary, in the Republican primary, as whether we are going to go more the paleocon direction with Trump or arguably DeSantis versus the neocon Nikki Haley. Yeah, I, I, I think that the paleocons are still rising, though, at least in foreign policy. I hope so. Yeah, me too, yeah. right? It's a strange world. Let's leave it there. Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah right. you get me talking about politics. I could go on. I could go on forever. So uh, you know, I'll, I'll use up all your time. No, it is. It's one of those subjects that it's like a rabbit hole. You could just keep going and going. What I'm really curious about, and I'm thinking before we jump in, maybe we'll go to our commercial break a, a second or two early, um, because what I, what I really want to get into, Alec, is a little bit of your background, a little bit of your conversion story, and then let's talk about the book. So why don't we um, why don't we jump into a commercial break right about 14 minutes? We'll jump in uh, and we'll come right back in just a second. So you're listening to Truth Culture Life at Catholic Spirit Radio. I'm Royce Hood, joined by Father Orsi. We will be right back after this break with Alec Torres. Yeah, don't ever lose hope. Please believe in yourself. This time of year, we're reminded of all the gifts the Lord gives us. We count you, dear listeners, as one of ours. Thanks for your support all year long. Merry Christmas from Catholic Spirit Radio. St. Paul, in writing to the early Christians of Corinth, encouraged them to be fools for Christ's sake. Foolishness in the eyes of the world consists of such things as giving one's time, talent, or treasure to a worthy cause. Attending Mass, going to confession, joining the religious life, or even running a Catholic radio station. By being fools in the eyes of the world, we are wise in Christ. Wouldn't it be great if we all were fools for Christ? Hi, this is Kathy and Anne from Catholic Spirit Radio. We are looking for folks who would love to volunteer with us during our fundraisers and various other station events and tasks throughout the year. We really need volunteers in the DeKalb, Sycamore, Morris, Joliet, and Lincoln areas, as well as Bloomington Normal. If you have a few extra hours or more a month, put them to use for the Lord. We would love to add your name to our Catholic Spirit Radio volunteer list. Contact us at office at catholicspiritradio.org. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Can you really say you know what praying the rosary is all about? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, listen to the who's who of the rosary. We have the Blessed Trinity. We have the Angel Gabriel. We have the Virgin Mary. We have John the Baptist. And we have Elizabeth. So how's that for a cast of sacred ones? Secondly, reflection. While saying the rosary, we reflect on 20 primary and sacred moments that occur in the lives of the Holy Family. And thirdly, 
Firstly, the Rosary Dynamics. Here's how you involve this cast of holy ones in praying the Rosary. You first invoke the three persons of the Blessed Trinity, then on to praying the Apostles' Creed. Then you will pray in Our Father. Then you will recite the Angel Gabriel's words to Mary. Then you'll recite what Mary said to Elizabeth. And then you will relive John the Baptist being filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Then you will ask for Mary's assistance in your life. And I'm so glad to say none of that is idolatry. A warm welcome to our new Catholic Spirit Radio listeners in Rockford. We hope you are inspired and informed by our quality programs. Tell others about Catholic Spirit Radio now heard in the Rockford area on 88.9 FM and catholicspiritradio.com. Welcome back to Truth Culture Life at Catholic Spirit Radio. Thank you so much for listening. I am Royce Hood, and I'm joined today by the incredible Father Michael Orsi. Uh, we are just on the other side of our first break, and we are joined by a very special guest, Alec Torres, um, who's the author of a new book, Persecuted from Within. Um, Alec, I want to talk a little bit, before we get into the book, tell us a little bit about your conversion story. You're you're uh, you're a Catholic now. You weren't always. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I grew up... Uh... You know, I grew up in a in a sort of American Protestant home, you know, pro-religious, but we went to church three, four, five uh, you know, weeks out of the year, maybe. Some years were better than others. You'd get up to a dozen, <laughs> but uh, it, it really wasn't a, an extremely ardently faithful household. But I, I personally was very religious, had a good friend from elementary school who brought me to his evangelical church. I was going to youth group and stuff like that. And... Um, you know, it was, a, it was a confluence of things that happened. As I grew older, you know, uh, I, I had more temptation to sin and that started pulling me away from the church. And at the same time, I couldn't quite, I, I struggled to square how I could be experiencing or even indulging in certain sins uh, and temptations, uh, but at the same time being saved because the church that I was a part of, you know, was like once saved, always saved. You know, there's there, there wasn't a, a really a theology of lifelong repentance and conversion. It's like, well, I believe so. Therefore, I should be good. Why why am I like this? So I had this twin, uh, you know, philosophical, theological on one side and then the sort of personal concupiscence on the other that pulled me away from church. Um, all the while I was sort of an anti-Catholic in a very minor way because they were the weirdos who like believed in things that just obviously were not in the Bible, like, you know, baptizing babies or in the Pope or something like that. Um, so fast forward into college and, you know, life of sin is pretty empty. So I was getting less and less happy. And then at the same time, I met a bunch of really incredible Catholic people whom I never would have met in my hometown. And they were just intelligent. If they knew the answers to my questions or if they didn't, they would find the answers, then bring it to me with data the next day. You know, they'd have citations and stuff going back for centuries. So I was very impressed by the internal consistency of Catholicism. Um, You know, just to make the long story longer is essentially I started finding my way into beautiful old Gothic style churches. Uh, You know, I went to Italy and, and was, you know, thought there was a lot of beauty there. Uh, and, and I started going to an RCIA class when I moved to New York, working at national review, but I told the priest, I was like, I'm not converting father. I'm just here to like, learn about some stuff. So finally at the end of the whole RCIA, he, he goes, okay, Alec, well, you know, the Easter vigil. Uh, so we're going to have you sit up here, uh, and you've already been baptized. So it'll just be confirmation. I said, well, father, hold on. Wait, uh, didn't I tell you that I wasn't, I wasn't converting said, well, yeah, but you were also the only guy who showed up to every single session. You were asking the best questions the whole time. You know, you were really into it. So I just assumed. And in the back of my head, I was like, well, I was going to go to the Easter vigil anyway. 
but I was either going to sit in the back left corner or I would sit in the front right row. And I thought, hey, well, if it's true and I sit in the front right row and a priest puts some oil on my head and says some words, then it'll work. And then I'll become Catholic and things will make sense or it won't. And, you know, what have I lost? And I have to imagine God was sitting back there kind of going like, you know, that's not really the amount of faith I was hoping for, but I'll take it. I'll work with that. (laughs) So he grabbed me from that. And it was like the gas pedal hit uh, pretty soon afterwards. Weekly mass attendance a year or two later, I was going on retreat, daily mass. And, you know, now now people, the first thing they know about me is I'm a Catholic. Wow. That's a that's a great story. Uh, Father, let me ask you this. Is there Mm -hmm. do you notice a difference? The people that sit in the front versus the people that sit in the back? Or is it just a preference? I think it's just a preference. Although I will say that the people who sit in the front seem to be much more attentive as to what is going on. So uh, maybe it's that they uh, uh, want a little more an intense religious experience. How's that? Yeah, I mean... Or the people in the back want to leave early. Well, (laughs) I like to sit in the very front row and partly that's because I'm really like, I get distracted so easily. If I'm not in the front row, I'm looking at the people around me. I'm hearing the door. I'm hearing people walking. I just don't get as much out of it. That's just me. Now, Elisa's family, my wife's family, they're in the very, they would be outside the church if they could. They don't want anybody (laughs) to see them. And it's not about not wanting to be involved. Like they just are a little bit more shy. Like they don't want to be noticed and sitting in the front is petrifying. It's horrifying to them. I always um, sit in the back or the second to last row, but I admit that's just because my that's where my family can find a seat when we arrive 30 minutes early because I go to a Latin mass parish. It's just booming, okay. So. You're a Latin mass guy. I should have known. Yeah, yeah. You just, you know, um, you can't, it, we, we just have oversubscription problems. <laughs> yeah. So that's, you know, it's interesting how the Latin masses are bursting at the seams. We don't, I don't want to get into that here necessarily, but wow. Yeah, right, big old debates. We can touch every, every hot. Yeah, we should. That's how this program works. Oh, but also, you know, the other mass that's bursting at the seams is Father Orsi's. I have never been to a mass of his that's not packed. Well, you know, we we uh, we produce crowds. You know, everything is media. <laughs> and that's true. And Father's a bit of a celebrity in uh, Naples, Florida. He's the host of Action for Life TV. And uh, Father's amazing. He makes uh, one announcement that he wants – Jim Caviezel to come to uh, Naples and like two weeks later, they're advertising tickets to the event. I mean, that's how father. Works. <laughs> amazing. That's, I mean, that was just, that was the Holy spirit. <laughs> it was the Holy spirit. I mean, uh, you know, yeah, it, it happened. Like, I knew it, happened. it wasn't in. me. It's the the Holy, Holy spirit, spirit wanted it. it. went boom. That's, that's true. That's true. Uh, and actually, yeah. So, all right. So look, um, tell us about the book, Alec, uh, persecuted from within and I'm going to give the the tagline here because I've got it uh, up. It's how the saints endured crisis in the church. And I just want to read the first little summary. It's Sophia. Many Catholics have either left the church or been scandalized by the errors of her, of immorality rampant in her clergy. We've watched aghast as faithful Catholics have been restricted or punished without just cause. Um, tell us about your book. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, this is. What happened was, is I entered the church very excited, right? Uh, Or not very excited, as you can tell, but I became very excited quickly afterwards. And uh, I was starting to get into it. I was learning more about it. I was studying the history of the church, the morality of the church. And it's just an angel problem. The church is the church is the perfect spotless bride of Christ. You know, it has perfect doctrine, unchanging doctrine. But then there's people within the church 
who are imperfect. All of us are imperfect, but then there's some of those people who have positions of authority and leadership and they, frankly, often they make bad decisions. Sometimes it's imprudent decisions that we just disagree with. Other times it's just, it's flat out wrong. You know, they're abusive in some way. They're, uh, they're saying things that are doctrinally incorrect. They're leading people astray. You know, they're, they're wolves in sheep's clothing to use the Lord's words. So my difficulty here was I, I recognize like I'm a pretty new Catholic all said and done uh, 2014 now. So I'm approaching 10 years, but still I got a lot to learn and I didn't know how to square the circle. You know how I, I'm I was told I got to I got to be obedient. I need to follow. I need to listen to the hierarchy. That's very Catholic. But how do I do that if I in my reading of it, some people in the hierarchy are leading people astray? Uh, you know, I can't just go and like start my own church or leave because I disagree with them. You know, that's, that's Protestantism. I can't just go and say there's like set of a cantism or something like that. I don't have the authority to go and say that the Pope isn't the Pope. So how am I supposed to manage it all? And the idea was, well, my co-author and I were like, let's, let's look at people who had to deal with this before. Let's look at saints who were persecuted by their own hierarchy and who we know were in the right because they lived holy, perfect, or not perfect, but really holy lives that the church recognized and now honors today. Mm, that's beautiful. Yeah, you've got some examples. Um, let's see. Uh, St. Joan of Arc, St. Thomas More, St. T- uh, Teresa of Avila, John the Cross, Alphonsus Liguori, um, Padre Pio, Fulton Sheen. I think about um, you know some of the strife going on now and without getting into all the details of it i mean you've got cardinal burke who no longer has portfolio now you've got bishop strickland who no longer has portfolio um and it was interesting i was with uh bishop strickland the other day and who's in my car which is a whole nother story and i was like robin hood tell us that story how did you get bishop strickland in your car yeah you know uh that's a great (laughs) Yeah, Alex, I wasn't going to admit to that on the air, but you, you beat me to it. No, I was um, I was in Baltimore filming uh, the uh, the Oblites of um, Providence who have a, uh, a chapter there. That's where they're headquartered. Anyway, so I found out Bishop Strickland was going to be leading a uh, prayer vigil. He was already scheduled months before. Um, he uh, was removed from the diocese, but so I, I went and Lisa Wheeler, who's a, um, who's with Carmel communications and is now a producer on the incorruptible movie that I'm working on. was like, Hey, I want you to go talk to him. I can't be there. Can you, you know, meet with Bishop Strickland briefly? So we were texting and I think we, something got a little mixed up at some point I get a phone call and it, Hey, you know, Royce, it's Bishop. Uh, I think you're supposed to be taking me to my Raymond Arroyo interview. And I'm not really a driver. I was like there with all my cameras and ready to do interviews with people. So I was like, um, I don't know that I'm supposed to take you, but I'm happy to. <laughs> so I don't know who his driver was supposed to be, but I ended up driving him through Baltimore. And it was funny because he gave me the address and my kids, my daughter had been playing with my phone at some point and the map, I actually don't like the voice on the map. I don't know if you guys have experienced this in the car. Like I hate the voice saying turn left. I, I just prefer to see the little arrows. The voice doesn't work, though, on my phone. I, I can't get it to work even if I wanted to. So next thing I know, Bishop Strickland's on my phone trying to make the voice work because he was nervous we were going to miss the turns. Uh, and Baltimore is a little bit nuts. I mean, you're, you you know the area, Alec. Uh, I'm a I'm a Florida guy. Like, I'm not used to all the, you know, the, the crazy taxi drivers there and the Uber it's, drivers. 
They're literally, if I see a Maryland license plate, I head for the hills. I'm terrified. <laughs> yeah, that's good to know. Father, just word of advice. If you're in uh, Naples driving around, you see Maryland, just, you know, he, yeah, he I get off the, I, I'll get off the road. Get off yeah. the road uh, <laughs> and move on. So, yeah, he was in the car. It was amazing. Um, anyway, you know, I, but I asked him, I said, you know, so you're technically still a bishop, right? And he's like, yeah, I'm still Bishop Strickland. And it's just amazing. Like, what is he going to do now? We're not sure yet, but he's not. I mean, it's different from a guy like uh, Father Frank Pavone, who's been, you know, lay aside. So that's that's mm -hmm. a very extreme example. So we'll have to keep Bishop in our prayers. I mean, I think he's he's basically just sort of like an early retirement is what I understand. I'm not sure. I guess so. It's interesting because uh, my reading, it says that, uh, you know, that he doesn't know what's going to happen to him. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I would suppose as maybe a retired bishop or inactive, they could use that title too, the diocese would still have to be responsible for his maintenance, I, I suppose. Emeritus? Maybe he's emeritus. Uh, hey, maybe I don't think so. I don't think so. I think they'd have to put him down as inactive, I think. Inactive, okay. Yeah, but they'd still have to be responsible for his uh, upkeep, maintenance, you know, insurance, food, uh, lodging, yeah. I suppose. Wow. Well, uh, we could always hire him here at uh, Truth Culture Life, I suppose. We've got another, we've got a little bit more space available on the screen uh, if we and need well, to. I mean, and he also, you know, he still has the charism of Bishop and, and we live in strange times just because he isn't over a, a particular, has authority over a particular territory. You know, you look at the original apostles, they were sent out all over the place to, you know, cure the sick, cast out demons and preach the good news. So, uh, you know, Alec, that's a great we point. all have that calling and he even more so, in my opinion. Let's put it this way. Uh, the text I received from his communications person was, listen, as soon as he's done doing the rosary, he needs to be whisked away for an interview. It was an hour later before he could finally get whisked away because of <laughs> all the people that wanted blessings, that wanted yeah. to shake his hand, that wanted to hug him, that wanted to kiss his hand. I mean, it was amazing. The I, I hate to use the word celebrity, but people... What I, what I saw was different than like there's an NFL star. It was here's a person we genuinely are concerned and care about, and people wanted him to know how much he was appreciated. That's mm -hmm. what I got. I got a lot of amazing photos. I was just standing there filming and taking pictures of it. So I think you're right. Um, you know, look, uh, I like to remind people Padre Pio was in exile for what was it, five years? Oh, uh, yeah. His imprisonment. Yeah. And it lasted up to 10 the first round. And he had another round that later in his life, too. There's yeah, they, a, he was silenced. He was silenced. He was. And uh, and he was obedient to that silence. And then he came out. And they got, I mean, I guess aside, uh, apart from the fact that there might, might have been some bilocation going on during that time, you know, <laughs> that's hard to control a guy that can do that. Uh, there's a there's a priest right now in Croatia. Father, um, I think his name is Father Yozo, that was similarly has just like this, he's a mystic. I mean, he's just amazing. And similarly was um, sort of, they I, I forget what they called it, but they kind of put him on an island for a few years. And I've seen mm -hmm. him recently coming back. So it's interesting. Uh, anyway, all right. So let's stay focused. Persecuted from within. This looks incredible. Um, it's available now. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, it came out just a couple weeks ago, and uh, I, I mean, the story's there, you know, the, the father and uh, Yosef, you said, or I, I apologize if I'm getting his name wrong, Padre yeah. Pio, all that stuff. It's kind of the story of the church. You see really holy people who end up getting persecuted by the church itself for one reason or another, sometimes even because they are holy people. 
Padre Pio mm. is like a perfect example of that. So, you know, yeah. I'm not calling Bishop Strickland a saint. We can't know that until the end of our days. Right. But, but he seems to be a very holy man. Every, every interaction I've seen that he's had indicates a depth of holiness. So it, it's hard not to see him being in the line of the, of the saints outlined in this book, unless we learn something radically different that would shock me. No, I, I'm with you. Um, that's how I feel about Father Orsi, too. I mean, there's a lot of people that are skeptical. He <laughs> got me in the wrong category. <laughs> Alex, if you join us again, I mean, there are times when I have to mute and start hitting the bleep button with Father Orsi, especially when we go down the politics avenue. He gets... He gets himself in the trouble. He gets me in the trouble sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> but I'll, but the bottom line is I'm right. He's right. He can't yeah, argue right. with the guy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So um, this is great. So, okay. Persecuted from Within. It's available really everywhere. I mean, great, great work. And by the way, I have to mention Joshua Charles. So you co-authored this book with Joshua Charles, who's also has an incredible background. Did you guys work together at the White House? Yeah, uh, we did. So he was a he was a White House speechwriter as well. Uh, you know, worked not too far down the hall from me. We only knew each other at the very end, though, uh, just because we got socked into our offices so much. You know, we're just trapped looking at computer screens, typing away and trying to keep ahead of the curve. Um, but yeah, we met each other, and and you know, I originally I had the idea for this book, and you know, I knew him as a political speechwriter. That's that's who he was in my mind. And I had the idea for this book and I was like, I don't know if I can handle all this on my own. It's a lot of historical research. And another friend of mine said, you should ask Josh about it. He writes history books and he knows a bunch of uh, Catholic theology and reads the church fathers. And I said, what? That guy? I knew he's Catholic, but so I go look him up and I'm like, geez, this guy's actually really brilliant here. And so he said, yes, he joined on up. He, he signed up to take uh, uh, chapters uh, too. We worked together on the whole thing uh, back and forth. Wow. Wow, what is right, your? Right, I got a, I got a question before we close. Right, go ahead. Uh, do you think you think he'll be back in the White House within a year? <laughs> well, you know, there's a difference between me personally and my and my old boss. I hope my old boss is back in the White House in a few years. <laughs> me personally, that's a tough sell. You know, my, my son was born, uh, my first boy. He was born February of 2021, so right after uh, you know the inauguration, Biden's inauguration. And I just, you know, I tell people I was on the way out either way at that point, uh, win or lose, because it's just it's darn near impossible to be a dad and to and to work in that environment, to be a parent and work in that environment. So my thought was always like, you know, there's young people, there's good people, there's good writers out there. Somebody else could do that job. I'm sure just fine, maybe even better than me, hopefully even better than me. But literally nobody else can be a dad to my kids. So I can't do something that would stop me from being a dad. All right. I, I like your hierarchy of values. Sounds good. Good luck. I like yeah. that, too. Honestly, that's beautiful. Before we go, give us um, in a minute or two, Max, because we'll jump to our break. Give us your favorite saint example of persecution from your book and why. You know, I got to have a better answer for this at a certain point, because so much of it just depends on the context of what I'm talking about. We've already mentioned Padre Pio a little bit, uh, but I mean, he really is. He's the one who uh, who just latched on to me in the end. I just absolutely love his story uh, because it's it's so profound and it really confronts you with with how high the calling of a saint is, uh, as all of us are called to be. So, I mean, the persecution he faced, it was all interpersonal for the most part. It wasn't about doctrine or or morals or things like that. I think the Padre would have responded differently if that were the case. We outline a lot of that in the book. But it was personal injustices against him based on hearsay, based on lies. 
And he had to endure that all. Uh, but he did so while while always loving the church. You know, one of the lines that just hit me and it was sweet is the hand of the church, even when it strikes you. Uh, so there's something beautiful about that, something very Christ-like, right? Like you, you can be, if you're Jesus, you know, you can, or if you look through Christ's eyes, you can see Caiaphas uh, sending Jesus off to Pilate to be condemned. You can see the, the betraying kiss of Judas as part of the story of redemption, not just as a tragedy. And that's exactly how Padre Pio saw his own situation. So he just had this beautiful story, profound resignation and immense faith that God would see him through in the end. That's great. Um, we are all out of time, Alec. It's been such a privilege and pleasure to have you on here. Best of luck with your children at home and all that you have going on. And, and best of luck with this book, which is available at sophiainstitute.com. So be sure to check it out. And uh, Father, I'll give you the last word. We'll jump into our commercial break and bring in our next guest. God bless. Keep up your good work and enjoy that family. Thank you very much. I absolutely am. <laughs> all right. You're listening to Truth Culture Life at Catholic Spirit Radio. We're going to go into our last commercial break. And on the other side, we'll bring in Pastor Charles Moody. So stay with us. This time of year, we're reminded of all the gifts the Lord gives us. We count you, dear listeners, as one of ours. Thanks for your support all year long. Merry Christmas from Catholic Spirit Radio. St. Paul, in writing to the early Christians of Corinth, encouraged them to be fools for Christ's sake. Foolishness in the eyes of the world consists of such things as giving one's time, talent, or treasure to a worthy cause. Attending Mass, going to confession, joining the religious life, or even running a Catholic radio station. By being fools in the eyes of the world, we are wise in Christ. Wouldn't it be great if we all were fools for Christ? Hi, this is Kathy and Anne from Catholic Spirit Radio. We are looking for folks who would love to volunteer with us during our fundraisers and various other station events and tasks throughout the year. We really need volunteers in the DeKalb, Sycamore, Morris, Joliet, and Lincoln areas, as well as Bloomington Normal. If you have a few extra hours or more a month, put them to use for the Lord. We would love to add your name to our Catholic Spirit Radio volunteer list. Contact us at office at catholicspiritradio.org. Hello, this is Steve Gleason with your one-minute tool for Catholic evangelism. Here's the question for your non-Catholic friend. Can you really say you know what praying the rosary is all about? So here's your three best friendship tools for Catholic evangelism. Number one, listen to the who's who of the rosary. We have the Blessed Trinity. We have the Angel Gabriel. We have the Virgin Mary. We have John the Baptist. And we have Elizabeth. So how's that for a cast of sacred ones? Secondly, reflection. While saying the rosary, we reflect on 20 primary and sacred moments that occur in the lives of the Holy Family. And thirdly, the Rosary Dynamics. Here's how you involve this cast of holy ones in praying the Rosary. You first invoke the three persons of the Blessed Trinity, then on to praying the Apostles' Creed. Then you will pray in Our Father. Then you will recite the Angel Gabriel's words to Mary. Then you'll recite what Mary said to Elizabeth. And then you will relive John the Baptist being filled with the Holy Spirit in the womb. Then you will ask for Mary's assistance in your life. And I'm so glad to say none of that is idolatry. A warm welcome to our new Catholic Spirit Radio listeners in Rockford. We hope you are inspired and informed by our quality programs. Tell others about Catholic Spirit Radio now heard in the Rockford area on 88.9 FM and CatholicSpiritRadio.com. Dear Mother Superior, 
I am a girl, 13 years old, and I would like to become a nun. I plan to come to your convent as soon as possible. I will graduate from grade school next month. What I want to know is whether you have to bring anything to the convent and what it is you have to bring. I hope I'm not troubling you any, but I have my heart set on becoming a nun. Of course, I am a Catholic. God bless you and those under your command. Respectfully, Mary Elizabeth Lancaster, May 6, 1937. Examining Sister Wilhelmina's life, it's no surprise that she just might be an incorruptible. This is Incorruptible, the incredible true story of the life and legacy of Sister Wilhelmina. Sister Wilhelmina was born on Palm Sunday, April 13, 1923. Her name was Mary Elizabeth. Her parents, Oscar and Ella, were married July 29, 1922. Sister Wilhelmina, Mary Elizabeth at the time, had three brothers and one sister. The Lancaster family lived in a small home on Garfield Street in St. Louis. Sister Wilhelmina recounts that she spent 17 years at this home on Garfield until she departed to join the Oblite Sisters of Providence in 1941. We shared joys and sorrows, struggles and hardships. We skimped, saved, and sacrificed, with my mother carrying the greater portion of the cross called Sister Wilhelmina, page 24 of her book. You've been listening to a sneak peek of Incorruptible. It is in production. I would encourage you as a listener of Truth Culture Life, go to incorruptiblemovie.com. In about one week, maybe two weeks from now, we'll be releasing our first official teaser, our new teaser, I should say. It's unbelievable. We filmed it in Gower, and I really hope you'll check it out. So join us at incorruptiblemovie.com. And be sure to check us out on Facebook as well at Incorruptible Movie. Back to Charles Pastor Moody. We had him about a week ago. I'm bringing back his episode because of what the work he's doing in Chicago. It's so important. I hope you'll uh, support his ministry uh, for women in Chicago. Thank you for listening to Truth Culture Life. So uh, we started a, a pregnancy resource center um, about a month and a half ago. We just launched it a month and a half ago. And in the, the beginning stages of launching this Pregnancy Resource Center, um, the question was, where are these women gonna go once we counsel them um, to bring these children um, into this world? And what we found here on the south side of Chicago is that a lot of these women um, will not even leave the city, right? So if they don't have the support right here in the community, um, the first option um, that folks tend to go towards is abortion. Um, so our desire was to limit the abortions. I really want to annihilate, just completely um, stop abortions on the south side of Chicago. But um, to, to stop that, what we did was begin to pray and ask God, what is it that he wants us to do? And he said, the number one thing that's going to stop these women and give them true support and true options 
is if we will provide housing and support for these ladies. So we are in the process of starting the first and only maternity house on the south side of Chicago. We will be able to house 15 to 18 women and their children. And what we wanna do is support them, um, make sure that they have the best medical service. We wanna make sure that they um, have discipleship opportunities. We wanna train them, give them life skills. And our desire is to make sure that when these ladies, ladies leave our um, maternity house, that they leave independent, that they don't become dependent on the government or have to find another man to take advantage of them, uh, but that they will leave with complete support um, um, for themselves and their family. But our desire as well is to find those dads as well. So you could call us like the, the dad police, but we're looking for those dads as well to let them know that they are responsible for their children. And we believe that the South side of Chicago will change as we see family structures get healthy and um, the children have their father and mother in their life. But Pastor, where do you get the money? This is a, this is a big project. Yes, Father. So a lot of prayer, but also a lot of friends like you guys, right? So um, we're out raising um, um, finances through private donors. Um, we are also filling out grant applications as well. Um, we're going through foundations. So that's how it all starts. But it, most of the money that we have been raising is through individuals who really believe in what we're doing that have been sowing. So a majority of our funds have been coming through individuals that say, yes, this is what I've been praying for. And what I love is that these individuals are not just giving us lip service, but they're also supporting the work through finances. Has the city of Chicago been encouraging to you? So it actually, yes, um, we work. So our church has always had a great relationship with the city um, because we're giving, right? We're, we're, we're providing support for those who are addicted to drugs. We send those individuals to rehab. Um, we have um, a community service for the children to also come into our church and have a safe place. Um, we do weekly outreach services on the street um, in three different locations in some of the roughest areas. And because of our um, work in the community, the city actually come looking for us to help them. So when I share this project with them, they were rather excited. I would say our alderman is rather excited about the project because this is something that they've been looking to do. Um, but I believe that the church has to be responsible for doing the work um, to see people made whole. Our pastor, are you taking in um, women right now or is it still, are you still in the process of getting everything set up so you can start taking people in? Yeah, we're in right now, we're in the, we're rehabbing the building right now. So we're actually um, um, getting the work and drawing. So we have the concepts. We're at the second phase of our project, which is um, completing the blueprints. And then the third phase will be um, really launching um, the campaign for major donors so that we could get this project done. Oh, this is beautiful. So yeah, I just, uh, go ahead, Father. Maybe you could just tell us, I you know, certainly with the reports we get about the city of Chicago are just uh, mm -hmm. horrendous. I mean, it's terrible. Is, is that true? I mean, are, are there exaggerations or do you see mm -hmm. hope at the end of this uh, dark tunnel? Father, I don't know. It, it could be that I'm a minister, but all I see is hope in Chicago. Um, my wife and I, when we first moved here, um, what we did see was hopelessness. But what we found out 
is that a majority of the people in Chicago are actually good people. Um, I was speaking to a friend yesterday, and it's probably about 1% of the population that's causing the problem. But I'm from New York, so um, this may sound crazy, but for me, a New Yorker, I feel like the south side of Chicago is probably one of the most hospitable places that I have <laughs> ever been. <laughs> Where were you from in New York? Where were you from? So I'm from a city called Yonkers. Right oh, I know Yonkers. Of- I'm from yep. I'm from a city called Brooklyn. <laughs> oh, okay. So compare you so you know compared to New York, oh, I thought, everywhere, I, I, yeah. everywhere is 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 like piece of cake. So, um, doing ministry here, Father, we pray for about ninety percent of the people who we ask on the street. So people are open um, to the gospel, open for to prayer because they know that they need a change in their life. So I would tell you ninety percent. And I'm on the roughest streets on the south side of Chicago that we go to every single week. And the people embrace us, love us, and to help us even while we're out there on the streets ministering. Wow. I'm glad to hear that because, you know, an organization like yours is, you know, yeah, you're bringing hope and light to a, a dark place. I mean, right. let's face it, you yeah. know. No, that's that's what yep. it's all about. I love uh, looking at your website, Chicago Life, ChicagoCityLifeCenter.org. Pastor, um, services is just incredible. Pregnancy care. We provide support community for women with unexpected pregnancies. Family care. We provide counseling support, equipping mothers and their families to build healthy family dynamics. Transitional care. And you've talked a lot about fatherhood and keeping families together and protecting families. And especially in, I feel like in the black community, it's so necessary. Like there was a point in time where the black community had the strongest probably family structure in the country. Right. Right. And I feel like, I mean, that is something that if we can get back to that everywhere, I mean, that's important. It doesn't matter what color someone's skin is. The fact of the matter is you need a mother and a father. How can you encourage fathers to step up and how are you guys doing that through your ministry? Well, one thing, so we live in the community where we minister And um, one of the things that folks really need to see is models, like, because some dads didn't have a dad, right? So being in the community, we have been opening our basketball court um, to the community for nine years. And believe it or not, in nine years, we only had four fights in nine years in our gym. Um, To me, that's amazing because I played basketball with Christians and there's always a fight. So <laughs> they were they weren't Catholic. I can uh, they're not Catholic. <laughs> oh, the, oh, you got to play softball with the Catholics. They don't play with their softball. Oh, uh, wow, there we go. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but during this time of even being in the basketball court with these guys and establishing um, relationships with them, what I have also noticed that a majority of those guys watching me spend time with my children and my children also being a part of the basketball games, a majority of those guys today are taking care of their children. Now, I wish they would marry the woman who they're having children with, but they are actively involved in their children's life. And um, and I'll keep them accountable to as well. Every time I see them, I always ask them, how's your daughter doing? And they better not tell me they don't know. How's your son doing? You better tell me, oh, Pastor, he's doing good. What school is he in? I'm asking questions to keep guys accountable. And um, and that's how we're 
doing it. You know, our motto for our church is um, um, changing our city one life at a time. And uh, and that's what it really takes is individuals keeping uh, folks accountable um, for the decisions that they have made in their life. And I'm grateful. And it's not just me. There's other individuals as part of my ministry that's married, have children. That's also modeling fatherhood as well. That's absolutely beautiful. What you're doing is is amazing, Pastor. And we're rooting for you here. Um, how can people support your ministry? How can our listeners help out with all the amazing work that you're doing? Well, we host mission teams here um, on a weekly basis. So if there's anyone who's handy, right? Because some folks may not have the finances, but they may be a carpenter, right? So when we start building, um, I would love for those who have some of these um, these these skills to come out, some skill men who may be electrician, carpenter, because I'm going to make sure that I work with a contractor that I could say, I have some carpenters, I have some men who's skilled, I need them to come in so that they can reduce the cost. Um, but we also need prayer, right? Um, we need prayer. We are in the city of Chicago. Um, it's, it, it, I want to say, um, they don't really give a whole lot of choices. There's only one choice. So we need to pray against that. And when the word gets out, um, we have to get permits. So we're going to need favor through the city to make sure that we get the permits that we need. And then the third thing we also need um, is finances as well. Um, we need finances to get this project off. Um, second phase is going to cost us about $269,000. Um, we have raised about 130000 of that. So we still need additional phase to complete phase two so that we could get to the construction part of the project. Wow. And they could do this by going through our website at um, southsidelifehouse.org and they could give directly through that. Okay, this is huge. We'll, we'll be sure to ask our listeners to visit your website just to even just follow what you're doing and we'll share a link on our social media, Pastor. Um, and I really, I'd love to have you back in you know maybe a few weeks or a month or so to see how things are going and to just keep pushing your project because i think what you're doing is amazing i love the fact that you're doing something so many people i was talking to somebody about this the other day so many people like to criticize the big cities mm -hmm. they like to criticize this they like to criticize that but they don't want to do anything about it or they don't know what to do you're doing something about right. it um you're living it and so if anything we can do to promote that and help encourage you, we'll, we'll do that here. So um, we'll be sure to promote southsidelifehouse.org. And I would encourage all of our listeners to check that out. All right. Thank you. Pastor, Father, back. Nice. We'll do that here. So um, we'll be sure to promote southsidelifehouse.org. And I would encourage all of our listeners to check that out.
believe in yourself Cause we've all been fair 